Here's what it says. There is a brother in our church that needs help moving this Saturday, June 2nd. Please meet here at the church at 7 a.m. So, it's a mystery brother. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. You just show up and see what happens. <laughs> David? David Comstock. Okay, now we know. All right, Brother David. Brother David needs some help moving. He's, uh, he's a brother that serves here with us, and he's, um, he's moving closer to the church, which is a good thing. So uh, if you want to help him move out tonight, yeah. Saturday, 7 a.m. So there's a silver and white car next to the bus. The inside lights are on. It's a silver and black Altima type car parked next to the bus. And your lights, your interior lights are on. So you may want to check that out. All right. Any other <laughs> while we're on a roll? Any birthdays? <laughs> your birthday is not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Okay, let me pray for us tonight. We'll get started in our time of study. Father, we thank you for just being able to come together as your people tonight, just to love you, Lord, in our worship and to sense your spirit just with us, Lord. What a sweet time of fellowship with you and with one another. And we ask now that you would speak to us, God. We've come just to study your word together. Lord, we know that your word is just so rich and good and uh, like spiritual food and nourishment to our spiritual lives. So, Lord, give us a full uh, taste of what you want to say to us tonight as we open the Word together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. What we're going to look at here tonight, uh, a number of laws that the Lord is going to continue to bring into place in His nation. You'll remember now where they are as a people. They are, and as a nation, have come out of Egypt. Moses has led them out of Egypt. They are out in the wilderness. God has instructed. They have built the tabernacle. God has instituted the priesthood. And He is now beginning to lay down a variety of laws. These are the laws that will govern them as a, govern them as a people and as a nation. As they go into the promised land, they're not yet in the promised land, but God is preparing them and preparing them uh, as a people so that when they go in to inhabit this land that he's giving to them, they'll be ready and they'll understand uh, the principles that he wants to govern by. And you'll see here tonight that even the land itself is really a gift from God to his people. What I see tonight as we look through this chapter is really everything that we have is a stewardship from God. Uh, the the psalm, psalmist in Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So God is looking to kind of give His people a sense of responsibility. I'm, I've brought you out of Egypt because you are now my people. You're my possession. You belong to me. And that itself is a stewardship. Because you belong to me, because you represent me in the earth, I want you to reflect something of my character, my glory. I want you to act like my people. 
we should act like children of the Lord. We want to act like our Father who is in heaven. We want to be, have some type of resemblance to the nature and character of God. And that is a stewardship. That's something that God entrusts to His people. And so not only are they and themselves as His people entrusted to live responsibly, but even the very land that He will give them to live upon. You know, we like to think, oh, this is my land. I own it. God is letting them know, no, I own the land. I'm simply entrusting it to you as a steward. You're able to use the land so long as I have you here. And then He's going to give them some rules and, and laws on how to manage this land, and we'll see some of that here tonight. Just another uh, verse out of the New Testament about stewardship. I'll remind you, the Apostle Paul said this, as a servant of Christ, as a carrier of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So God has entrusted us, as the Apostle Paul said, we, we have been given the mysteries of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's something that has been entrusted to the church of Jesus Christ. We have the message of the gospel. We have the light that the world needs. We have the, the hope, the only hope that the world has is in Jesus Christ. And we can, God has entrusted that hope, that message, that truth, to us as a church. And so Paul understood that we are, we are servants of Christ entrusted with these, this wonderful mystery about God and His love and His desire to save and what He's accomplished in Jesus Christ. And we want to be found faithful. So you'll see something of this, I believe, as we look here tonight, uh, studying Leviticus chapter 25. We won't read each and every verse, but we'll read a good portion of it, and then some of it I will summarize for you. Let's begin. Uh, the first thing we'll take a look at here, God is going to el- elaborate now on the Sabbath rest. He's actually going to talk about giving the land itself a rest, a Sabbath. Pick it up with me in verse 1. We'll take a look at verses 1 through 7. And then also I'll jump ahead down to verse 18 and through 22. Those two, uh, th- those two uh, areas of text kind of line up on the same th- theme. Look with me now in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your intended vine. For it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for you, your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you, for your livestock and the beasts that are in in your land, all its produce shall be for your for your food for food excuse me skip ahead also look at verse 18 he kind of finishes this idea of giving the the land a sabbath rest verse 18 so you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them and you will dwell in the land safe in safety then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety 
And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. So God now, giving the children of Israel instructions on how to manage his land. It's the land that he's giving to them, and he's instructing them to actually give the land a rest. Every seventh year, every Sabbath year, you will give the land a rest. Now, this this principle of rest and the Sabbath this, uh, is, is throughout much of what the Lord is instructing the children of Israel. They were to rest every Sabbath day of the week. Uh, there's a number of things that took place on you know sevens. So God has uh, something of completion in his number of sevens. And he wants the rest of the land itself to actually be rested uh, every seventh year. There'd be no sowing, sowing no harvesting. They would be able to kind of take what would grow on its own from the land, but God promised to bless the sixth year in such a way that it would be able to carry them through not only the sixth year, but the seventh year, the year of rest, and then the eighth year while they would be waiting for the eighth year harvest, which would come in at the end. So really three years, uh, the sixth year would have to carry them for three years, the sixth year, the seventh year, and into the eighth year until the harvest would come in. And God gives them this promise, and he wants them to trust him. Now, there may be some um, ecologically sound method here. You know, we have a lot of chemicals now that we use to make the land fruitful, don't we? We, we fertilize, we have, I mean, we have a real commercial uh, farming has kind of made our land very fruitful, but It may be, and I don't know this, and I didn't have time to really see if there was any science behind this, but it may be that the land itself will produce better if you don't sow and reap every single year. Give the land itself a chance to kind of recover the nutrients and so forth. So there may be just some good practical understanding that God is giving his people here. But he is also teaching them something about faith and trusting the Lord. You know, are you willing to not sow that seventh year. Will you trust me? I'll bless you in the sixth year, and then you can take the seventh year off. I like that idea of taking the seventh year off. You know, it speaks to God wanting to give his people rest. God is not trying to just turn us into workaholics, you know, where you're just striving and working and, you know, the sweat of your brow and having to squeeze out every last opportunity, every last, you know, work hour. God gives his people rest. And instituting this. Now, a couple of things would cause people to stumble over this. Number one would be greed. The sixth year comes in bountifully. Yeah, but just think how much more if we went ahead and harvested the seventh year. You know, so there's this temptation to just maximize. You know, let's not take it off. Let's not rest. I mean, we're already ahead. Look at how great the sixth year was. Let's go ahead and, and sow and harvest the seventh year. Then we'll really be ahead of the game. And so there would be that temptation. The other temptation that people have is fear. Will God really, will it, will it be enough? Do I have enough? Will I make it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can trust the Lord uh, to, to provide. I better, we better go ahead and just, you know, sow a, 
you know, a provisional crop, a just-in-case crop, in case the Lord, in case this sixth year isn't enough, in case there's not enough to get us through these next two years. So these are the things that would be tested in the heart of God's people. He doesn't want them to become greedy. He doesn't want them to become fearful. Well, the truth is, throughout history, we have no record that the nation of Israel ever kept this Sabbath rest. God gave them this clear instruction, and they never followed it. They never trusted the Lord to take that seventh year off. There's no record of it through history, and in fact, what we have is a record that God ultimately judged the nation of Israel for not giving the land its Sabbath. After 490 years in the land, and not giving the land its every seventh year rest, how many years would the nation owe the Lord for if they were to give a, a year every seventh year rest to the land? After 490 years, what kind of what would they owe? Seventy, right? If they were to rest the land every seventh year, after 490 years, there would be 70 Sabbaths that they had skipped, 70 rest years that they had not given. Well, guess how long they were taken captive by the nation of Babylon? Seventy years. And in fact, God says it specifically in Second Chronicles 36, 21, that they were taken to Babylon for 70 years' captivity to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until, listen to this, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. <laughs> you don't want to run a tab with God. He, he keeps pretty good records. And ultimately, he's able to bring to pass what he had commanded us to do. The other principle that... Uh, you know, you see this throughout the scriptures, is that you really can't get ahead by disobeying the Lord. Sometimes you think you can. I'll work that extra year. I'll, I'll take that extra job. I'll, I won't. I won't be as generous. I won't give. I won't tithe. I won't do these things. But then I'll have more. And you, you know what? God puts holes in your pockets. The car breaks down. Something happens. God has a way of blessing those that obey and walk in faithfulness as stewards. He has a way of extending the life of those cars and, and making those, you know, the, uh, those resources go further. And they have a way of evaporating too, don't they? seems like the harder we're scrambling to hold on, the, the, the faster it slips through our fingers. God is trying to teach His people a principle here. Trust me. Trust me. Don't, don't become greedy in the land. I've given you this land. Be a good steward of it. And I'll bless you. You'll be fruitful there. You'll have enough. Oh, you maybe you won't be able to get that extra seventh year ahead and have your barns stuffed and full as you'd hoped. But trust me, if you'll do this, I'll make sure that you have all that you need. You'll be fruitful. You'll be blessed. And so as we obey the Lord, there's a an, there's an step of faith. Do you trust Him? Who wants to give? I don't want to give. If I give, I'll have less. Isn't that just, doesn't that just make sense? And yet the Lord says, no, give, and I'll give unto you. I'll provide seed for the sowing. As a, God is looking for the hearts that are walking in faith, hearts that are walking in generosity, and he is, He's the one that ultimately will provide and bless our resources. Well, He is faithful, and God is looking for us to receive from Him by faith. 
I want you to hold your place there in Leviticus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Just speaking to this whole idea, this theme of trusting the Lord, trusting God's plan to be the best, trusting that God's Word will work out to be good, and not living in fear, not worrying, not being anxious. This is a pretty common passage, but I want you to see it. It's Jesus speaking, I think, into this same theme. Matthew chapter 6. Look with me, starting in verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Listen, you cannot serve God and mammon, or God and riches, God and material greed. Verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will Put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus speaking to his disciples, reminding them that their their God knows what they have need of, and he is committed to care for them. And you can look merely to the, uh, the nature, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. You can see that God is able to provide for all that he has created. And how much more value are we, his children, than the grass of the field or the birds of the air? God making a promise and God trying to call us to faith, trust the Lord. And this is something that he's trying to sow into the heart of his his children back there in Leviticus. Trust me. Don't try to maximize and squeeze everything, every bit, you, every last bit you can get out of this land. Come in. Find rest. I want you to walk with me in relationship. I want there to be a sense of peace. I don't want you to be scurrying about, worrying and anxious. Oh, is this year's crop going to come in? What are we going to do next year? What's going to happen next? And God wanting to build a relationship of faith and trust. Well, we need that today, don't we? Especially in today's economy, especially in the culture that we live in where everything is fast and more and and not enough. And it seems to be just like uh, a rat race, right? Just chasing our tail. And I wonder if God wouldn't say to us even tonight, you know, stop your anxiety. Set down your worries, even just for a night, even tonight. Set it at the door. And just enjoy a time of knowing that I love you 
and that I'm going to take care of you and that I'm able to do these things and that you are of great value to me. He's not calling us to be lazy or irresponsible, but not to be anxious and to be worried and to be stressful. That's not what God wants for the heart of his people. You know, anxiety and stress. These are, these are not even physically good for us. Uh, it, it really robs us of the quality of life, of the health that God has for us. God wants us to walk in peace and love and joy. That we'll have trial, and there'll be times, and like Paul said, you know, I've I've learned to be content. There've been times when I have not had much, and there's been times when I've had abundance. I mean, the seasons of life will will take us through the ups and downs, but in the end, look around. You're still here. You're all clothed nicely tonight. And I, how many of you have missed meals this week? Not many, you know. I haven't missed any that I know of. God's taken care of us, and He will. And uh, I think he's wanting us to walk by faith, and he's wanting us to walk in trust and peace. And he's actually trying to put this into the very heart of his people back in Leviticus. You can turn back with me there now, and we'll take a look at the next uh, law that he wants to institute. This, this next thing that we'll look at here tonight, so you see that Sabbath rest for the land. Now we're going to talk about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. Take a look with me, verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself. So seven sevens of years. So that would be 49 years, right? Again, God really focused on the seven. Seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Verse 9. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all, excuse me, all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. It shall... Uh, in it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your, your untended vine. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. And therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. God teaching them now about this year of Jubilee. This was to occur on the 50th year. After seven Sabbaths, or seven sevens, 49 years, on the 50th year, there would be this year of Jubilee. It would be announced at the Day of Atonement. Trumpets would be blown. And it would be basically a release of all debt and all indentured servants and slave, whatever land had been sold to to somehow kind of uh, survive, all of that would be returned back to its original owners. 
God wanting to keep the land evenly dispersed amongst the tribes of Israel that he had brought into the land. He didn't want one tribe to kind of begin to take dominance over the rest of the people. It may be that, that one year, uh, you know, you had a bad crop, but your, your neighbor had a good crop. And now you don't have enough and you need to borrow from him. So what you could do, you could sell him your land. But in the year of Jubilee, that land would come back to you and to your family. It would be a release. And he says here that you'll, you'll, you'll gauge the price of the land based on how many years are left before the next Jubilee. So, for example, if the Jubilee was last year, we know that we have another 49 years before the next Jubilee. So if I were to sell my land now, there's still 49 years of harvesting left on this land. I should get a very large price for that. But let's just say that the Jubilee hasn't been for 47 years, and the next Jubilee is only three years away, and now I need to sell my land. Well, the owner is only going to get to use my land for three years, and then he's going to have to return it to me. So the price would be much less accordingly. So God's setting in this kind of a system to help keep the land evenly dispersed amongst his people. And also give you and yet giving opportunity for the land to be sold. I mean, there are times when you just you, you come upon hard times and your brother or someone from another tribe would be able to help you by buying your land and then you maybe would work it for him or you would come in in some cases you would even go and be that that other uh, person's uh, worker, an indentured servant for them. This was to help prevent people from just getting into despair. I mean, you, you know, it's kind of a, like a, a, a protection for bankruptcy. You lose everything, but in the 50th year, it comes back. So God instituting this, it would help uh, regulate the economy of his nation help prevent people from getting into just total despair and not having any way in which to survive. They could help one another. You know, they could trade with one another. They could make this type of exchange. But also, the year of Jubilee would give a sense of hope. Can you imagine having lost everything, a few bad years, or maybe you've mismanaged, or maybe some things have just gone wrong, and now you've lost everything. And you've lost it for not only yourself, but for future generations. Your name, your, your tribe, your, 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 what was once your land that God had given to you has been lost forever, except for the year of Jubilee. You never had to be, feel that way. There was a hope. Yes, there would be consequence. Yes, there would be a price. And yes, I would have to you know, do without, and I may have to learn to, to live differently than what we're accustomed to, but, but I have a hope. God, in the year of Jubilee, will restore these things back and kind of a reset button that we could go back and start over. And that's a blessing to have that kind of hope, to live with that kind of hope, and that God wanting that in the heart of His people, that they would never become completely despairing or feeling as though there, were no, there was no hope. And this is about forgiveness of debt. It's about restoring back. And God would tell them, look with me in verse, uh, excuse me, verse 23. The land shall not be sold permanently. Why? For the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption 
of the land. God reminding them, listen, it's not your land to begin with. And if it turns out that your neighbor needs to sell you his land, remember it's my land. And I will entrust it to you to manage on his behalf for these years. You'll make a nice profit. You'll oversee his land. But remember, it's still mine. And I'm entrusting you to restore it back and forgive that debt. If there were slaves, sometimes you had to kind of sell your own service out. I'll have to come and work for you in your, your field. And you would you know, work your way out of debt. But in the year of Jubilee, all of that would be released. All of that debt would be forgiven. So this would be a great message of hope. And it would also be teaching the nation about forgiveness and restoration. And he would remind them that, you know, you were once in a foreign land. You were once in Egypt. You had no land of your own. You were once enslaved to others. Remember how I brought you out. Remember how I delivered you. Now you have opportunity to forgive your brother and restore your brother who's come upon hard times. And in the year of Jubilee, this is a way in which this can take place. Beautiful uh, law that God has brought into his nation, giving his people a future and a hope and teaching them about forgiveness and mercy. Verses 25 through 55, which is the balance of our chapter here tonight. It, it, God here now goes into spelling out the laws of redemption. We won't read this whole uh, section because it's quite lengthy, but I will summarize it for you, and we will read some. Read with me now, starting in verse 25, and God, you'll get the idea of what God is now going to talk about in terms of redemption. Verse 25, if one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possessions, and if his redeeming relatives come, uh, if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee, and in the Jubilee it shall be released and he shall return to his possession. This idea of what was known as the kinsman redeemer. What this law says is, listen, if you come upon hard times, and as a result you have to sell off your land or a significant portion of your land to help survive a year or two or three, whatever is needed, And you have a kinsman, a relative, an uncle, someone else of your family who has the resources to buy that land back, then the new owner is obligated to sell that land to the relative. So if you can't afford to redeem it back yourself, perhaps one of your relatives, a kinsman, would be able to come and redeem it on your behalf. We see this played out in the book of Ruth, the famous passage where Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer for Ruth and is able to restore her, and he ends up marrying her. And a beautiful picture of this redemption. But it also speaks of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has become our kinsman redeemer. Jesus became a man 
that he might be kin to us, that he might be like us, in that he became fully a man. And this empowered him, this enabled him to be our kinsman redeemer. In other words, you had to be related. You couldn't, no, not, no, some stranger could just come in and buy your land back for you. It had to be someone that was either, you either bought it back yourself or a, a kinsman, someone, a relative kin to you could come back and help redeem your, your station back uh, concerning your possessions. And this is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. He has become, he humbled himself and became a man, the book of uh, Philippians says, and became obedient even unto death to redeem us. How is it that we could be redeemed? We had lost everything. We were without hope. We were in debt because of sin. Jesus Christ became our kin so that he could redeem us and restore us back to right relationship with God, to peace with the Lord. There's a passage in the book of Revelation. Uh, You may remember this. John is there seeing a vision and a scroll is brought out in heaven and All of heaven begins to mourn. This scroll represents the title deed to the earth. And there is none worthy to open the scroll. Remember this passage in John. uh, John the Apostle begins to weep. There is none worthy, none found worthy to open the scroll. Who will buy back the earth? You see, Adam, when he sinned, he actually lost lost the title to the earth. Satan is now announced through the scripture as really the one in charge of the earth he has power in the earth and yet and and there was none to redeem it back for man but the passage in revelation goes on worthy is the lamb the the lamb comes onto the scene and he is able to open the scroll he himself has brought purchased back the title deed to the earth and has redeemed us and redeemed the earth unto God. That's all found in Revelation 5, and that's when the angel says, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He himself is able to redeem and has redeemed the earth, and we are redeemed through his blood. Jesus Christ has become our kinsman, redeemer. The passage goes on to talk about redeeming land. It talks about redeeming houses, uh, houses within walled cities had to be redeemed, redeemed within the first year or they remained permanently with the one who bought it. So certain, certain houses within walled cities, those did not fall under the same redemption laws, nor were they released during the year of Jubilee. There would be certain laws for the Levites and their houses and their land. Their land could not be sold. God did not give them a portion of the land, but rather he gave them cities within each Uh, of the tribe's lands, and they also had some pasture lands around their cities. The the balance of chapter 25 goes to kind of spell out some of those rules. There would also be a redeeming for the poor. Uh, You were to to make loans interest-free to your brethren uh, if they were in need. And there were laws of redeeming slaves and servants and setting them free in the year of Jubilee. And uh, this, again, not only did the land belong to the Lord, but look, verse 55, For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Not only did the land belong to God, but so did the children of Israel. So did the people. 
so that you were not to take advantage of them or their land or property because all of it was really entrusted to you by the Lord. Pastor Chuck, uh, he makes an interesting observation on this, uh, this Sabbath redemption, this year of Jubilee. Uh, he just he points this out that it's been approximately six thousand years since Adam lost the title deed to the earth, and there is a one thousand year millennial kingdom reign spoken of in the scriptures, wherein Christ sets up an earthly kingdom. And so, if 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 the math is right, and you know. Not sure exactly, but we must be close. We're about 6,000 years of human history since Adam. And there is still, so we're coming to the end of uh, this 6,000th sixth, year and the year of Jubilee, which would set us free and redeemed, uh, could be just around the corner. And then uh, the, the thousand year reign of Christ would come in. This would be God's, consistent with God's pattern of uh, you know the seventh year being the year of rest, the seventh year uh, being that year of jubilee after the seventh sab- Sabbath. So um, interesting to consider that perhaps we may be very, very close to that uh, last thousand-year period wherein Christ sets up his earthly rule and his kingdom. Um, a number of themes that I want to talk about here now, and we'll, we'll, I want to close and then spend some time in prayer. A number of things kind of stood out to me, and and again, we've looked at the text, but let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that I think the Lord would would want us to see here tonight, things that go on in our lives. Um, The one thing, one theme that stands out to me is this whole idea of fear, Not, not trusting God to provide. I know that many of you wrestle with this. I know that even in my own life, I have wrestled with this. And I want to speak to that tonight. I want, and that's part of why we looked at that passage in Matthew. And I want to take an opportunity to pray for some here tonight. It may be that, that you are having a difficult time trusting God at this season in your life for provision. Things may be tight. Job, you may have been laid off. You may be facing uh, some debt that's just, you have no idea how you're going to manage and it may be some of it, and just as it was in the nation of Israel, it may be that some of it is through your own doing. It may be some of it is just the matter of circumstance that have happened in our, in our economic time. But you're wrestling with fear. And it can become almost overwhelming and crippling, the fear and the anxiety and the worry of provision, finances, money. Will I have enough? How am I going to make it? How are we going to make it? We don't have enough. We're not making it. And I believe that the Lord would, and I think this text speaks to us, God is is not wanting you to live in that kind of anxiety. Now, you know, there's no magic wand that will make resources appear in your account tomorrow. But there is a God who loves you that you can put your faith and trust and confidence in. You don't have to worry You don't have to be anxious. Let me ask you, does worrying and anxiety solve any of the circumstance? All it does is cripple your faith. All it does is discourage and depress you. 
So I'm asking you to consider tonight. It may be that the Lord just wants to give some of you a word of encouragement. Listen, lay down your anxiety and your fear and trust me. Walk in confidence with me and peace. And I don't know how he's going to bring you through, but I know that he's going to bring you through. You're going to be all right. As you put your faith and trust and confidence in the Lord, you won't be disappointed. God will bring you through. Maybe not the way you'd hoped. Maybe not the way you'd imagined. Maybe not the way you're accustomed. But God will be faithful to bring you through and care for you. And I want you to consider trusting Him tonight. And I'm going to give an opportunity for those that are struggling in that area. I would like to pray for you. The other thing that I I think is a very strong theme here tonight is this, uh, this idea of the Lord keeping hope alive in the heart of his people. Even in, even in a situation where someone in, in the nation were, lost everything, there was still hope. God had already given, made provision to where these things could be redeemed and that in time they would be redeemed. And they, so they always were able to live with a sense of hope even if things were bad in the moment. And I know that that's what the devil would like to rob from every one of you tonight. He would love to steal away your hope. He would like to make you believe that your situation is hopeless. Maybe it's even a sense of guilt or shame. Maybe it's mistakes that you've made. Maybe it's a sense of being overwhelmed and despairing and it's too late for me and it's not going to work out and I'm just going to have to settle for some you know, miserable life, and I don't know, maybe I'll make it to heaven, but I have no hope. And there's this sense of darkness that comes in upon your heart. And God wants to dispel that. God wants to give a future and a hope into your heart tonight. And there is a redemption. We have a Redeemer. There is mercy. There is forgiveness. And there is a future and a hope. And there is something stored up for you. But not only in the next life, even in this life, God can make beauty from ashes. God can turn things around. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you've probably already tasted that. You've probably already come through a few valleys where you thought it was hopeless. And yet God somehow, some way, brought you through. And there's hope. So I want to sow hope into your heart. And there may be some here tonight. You just need to be restored, have that hope in the Lord restored. Maybe it's forgiveness from the Lord. It's not too late. God loves you and God will redeem. I also think there is this theme of forgiveness for us towards others. What this required in the nation was that the brethren of Israel had to treat each other with a certain grace, a certain willingness to restore and help their brethren. Not to take advantage, not to hold that over them. No, no, that's mine. You sold it to me. You'll never get that back. No, there had to be a willingness to restore and to forgive. And I I think that's an important theme for your heart tonight. Are you holding on to anything towards someone else? Do you need to restore? Is it time for you to have a year of jubilee in your own heart towards others? Let it go. Forget it. The the debts are all canceled and forgiven. Start fresh. Start new. Celebrate the forgiveness of God in your life by being forgiving and merciful 
to the others around you. You may be holding someone, holding a debt in your heart towards someone, a bitterness, an unforgiveness. And this, I believe, in Leviticus 25 speaks to that. God training the heart of his people to be gracious with one another, to be forgiving, to look to restore, to redeem, to bless. And finally, that whole idea of redemption. You know, even if you were a kinsman, you had to go and help your brother or sister out. You had to go and, and redeem them. This this would this would kind of again put the children of Israel into a very proactive role in helping with one another. Not just, you know, uh, reactive help, helping by forgiving those debts in the year of Jubilee, but proactive, looking to go and buy your brother out of debt, looking for go, to go and, and buy that your, your, your cousin's family back and get them back on stable ground. It's this heart that is looking to be redemptive. And I believe that speaks to our hearts as Christians. Freely you have received, now freely give. Paul said the love of Christ compels us. We have to go. We have to preach the gospel. We have to go to try and redeem those souls of men. And so it, I think it, this, this idea of being proactive in our redemptive efforts, who can I help? Who can we bless? Has God blessed you? Has God given you even a little bit of resource that you could help others with? Look for ways to be redemptive. You have the message of the gospel in your heart and in your life. That's a powerful redemptive tool. Are you looking to redeem? Are you looking to help? Are you looking to to save others? I, I think that this theme plays very strongly in this chapter. A love for others, a looking to help and minister, a, a love for the lost. So these four areas, let me uh, kind of retrace them. And then I want to pray. I'm going to ask the worship uh, folks to come forward. I want to spend a little time in prayer and worship, and we'll close here tonight. But these four things, here's, these are the things I want to pray about tonight. If any one of these things is in striking your heart and you need prayer, maybe more than one. Um, fear. You're wrestling with fear and anxiety and worry specifically about provision. Secondly, um, hope. You are living without a sense of spiritual hope. You are living in despair. You may think it's too late for you. You may think you're too far gone. Something has stolen away your hope, and you need to be. You need hope restored back in your heart tonight. Forgiveness. Are you willing to forgive others? Are you willing to allow the year of jubilee to take place in your own heart towards others? And release all the debt. Let it forgive it, restore, forgive. And finally, that whole idea of redemption. Is there any is 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 in your heart a desire, a true love of God in your heart to want to redeem and minister to others? This is not just forgiving those that have wronged you, but now I'm talking about redeeming, looking for those that need your help. Those four things, uh, if our worship team would come, um, I'm gonna. We'll go ahead and, and sing a song of worship. But I want you to be meditating on these these four things, and then I'm gonna call you to prayer. 
Uh, if any one of those four issues is in your heart, after we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to come and join me here at the front. I'm just going to pray that God would minister in these areas that I think this chapter has identified for us. But let's go ahead and stand, if we can, for a moment. And uh, let's worship the Lord here together. And while we're doing so, consider these areas that the Lord may want to be uh, touching your heart in tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your care for us. Thank you, God, for these themes that you identify for us in Leviticus, Lord. It's so clear that you love us and that you love your people and you want us to walk in faith. You want us to trust you. And God, you want us to learn to be merciful. You want us to be good stewards of the grace and all that you have given to us, that we would be gracious that we would be mindful of our brothers and sisters, and Lord, that we would be redemption-minded for the loss in which we live. God, help us grow our hearts, strengthen us in these areas. If you're here tonight and, and you know this is just something you need to, to come forward for for prayer, I'm just going to invite you just right now, make your way up here. If any of these four areas, you just feel like the Lord was speaking to you, come, let's stand together, let's pray, and let's ask God to set us free in these areas, fear, hope, forgiveness, and redemption. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need you tonight, Lord. pray for us here tonight. Lord, it's so clear to me that in your word, you speak directly to the areas of our heart. These are the things we wrestle with, Lord. This is where we struggle, Lord. We, we want to believe, we want to trust, but we worry. Circumstance presses in. Resources are gone. Things are trying, difficult, trials. Lord, I ask that you would help us to have faith. But Lord, faith can only be grown and strengthened when it's tested. And so, Lord, oftentimes the very the very trial that brings anxiety is the trial that you have allowed to produce faith. That's your intention. So tonight, we turn our heart to you, Lord, and we say that, Lord, we know that you you are able to care for us. We're mindful of the birds of the air tonight. We're mindful of the, the mountains and how you so array them with beauty Lord, today, what a beautiful day it was. Just the sky and, and the sun and the just the beauty of the creation, Lord, around us and how you keep it all together. 
Everything's so perfectly balanced and managed. And Lord, there's not one place we can walk, and there's not a bird, there's not something of your handiwork about us. And Lord, you keep it all together. It all is all sustained by your power and your love. God, let it speak to our hearts again tonight. You've got us, and we're safe in your hand, and we're secure in your hand. Lord, you will provide. You will take care of us. And our hope and trust need to be in you, Lord. Maybe we need to slow down a bit, God. Maybe there needs to be some Sabbath in our life, some rest. Quit worrying. Stop anxiety-filled days. And Lord, just breathing in the the love of God, smelling the roses, as they say. Lord, just fellowshipping with you. We're going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. There's an eternity planned for us. Father, help us to enjoy you and enjoy the life that you've entrusted to us. And Lord, for those that are here tonight struggling with without hope, the enemy has so clouded and darkened their 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 path that they imagine that things are are hopeless. Things will never change, and if they do, they'll only get worse. What can you do? What can God do? What could God do? And, in, and if, even if He could or wanted to, He wouldn't. He wouldn't do it for me because I'm not worth it. And so this sense of despair, guilt, shame, darkness creeps in and crowds in on our heart and mind. Lord, set us free tonight. Bring a year of jubilee in our heart, Lord. There is hope. There is a God who's looking to redeem. A God who's looking to forgive. A God who wants to wipe the slate clean and restore, and restore us into relationship. And to give us a future and a hope. And Lord, for those that are here tonight that are holding on to bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, we're holding a debt over someone else. Lord, it's time for us to declare the year of jubilee as well. Let it go. Lay it down. Give it to the Lord. Trust Him. You'll take care of it, Lord. Help me to be forgiving. Help me to be merciful, Lord. Help me to walk. In forgiveness, you've been so gracious to me. Who am I to judge? Who am I to hold a debt when God has been so gracious in forgiving all of my debts? And finally, tonight, Lord, this whole idea of redemption. Jesus, you are my redeemer, and I want to have redemptive eyes. I want to be looking for ways to help, looking for ways to redeem, looking for ways to restore. Maybe it's just a helpful word. Maybe it's just an encouraging prayer. Maybe it's just a, a card, a, a thought. Maybe it's some coming alongside and helping a brother move this Saturday. Lord, give us redemptive eyes. We, be, Lord, we're family. This is the body of Christ. You died for each and every one. Lord, help us to be family. Help us to be kinsmen, redeemer to one another, looking for ways to help and assist each other. We need each other, Lord. Give us these things tonight, Lord. These are the areas of our heart that are vulnerable and weak and need need your strength. So I ask that you would meet us by your Holy Spirit. 
that you would work miraculously in these areas and set us free tonight, that we would not leave unchanged, that we would be transformed, that we would be touched, not just a moment, not just a feeling, but a true spiritual work in our heart and life. May this be a time of jubilee, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word, which so declares your love for us and care over us. Help us to receive it tonight in faith, and may it bear good fruit in our lives and in our families and in our church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. your name tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. May we go out tonight with joy in our hearts and a peace that passes understanding, Lord. Pour your grace out upon your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.